Broadcasting live from the Babadook's book, this is the Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya, and I'm joined by my Baba babies, Mila, Louisa, and Zeba. This time around, we're trying a different style. Rather than one long episode a month, we're going to be putting out a new episode every week under the same theme. To start off the spooky season, we're going to be talking about lore and horror. But before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Bunchers Feminine Podcast. week we are going to be talking about the 2014 Australian horror film The Babadook directed by Jennifer Kent. In this film a bereaved widow Amelia struggles to manage her son Sam's behavior when he begins having violent outbursts and building toys to battle the monster he claims is in their house. Amelia does not believe him until she receives a mysterious pop-up storybook divulging the story of The Babadook which shows disturbing and violent imagery. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night. Mum, does it hurt the boy? Mum, does it live under the bed? Mum? Mummy! Mummy! Upon rewatching it, I do perhaps think that the Duck is not gay, the mom is not gay, and the child is not gay. I really wanted to believe <laughs> that somebody saw something that I didn't, and that is why the Netflix <laughs> incident occurred. To my understanding, what had happened was, is there it was Pride Month, and they had a Pride section in Netflix, and the Duck was accidentally categorized as like an lgbt movie and then it just got like memed to high hell especially because it was pride month and quickly everybody was like doing babadook looks and t-shirts and merch but i will say that the babadook is a touch queer right he's a little fruity he you know (laughs) a bit camp if you will the hat the cape the like the way that he like moves through space queering movement i think a little bit uh (laughs) queering lore and horror because like what gags me is we don't know where that book comes from to this day we will never know where that book comes from and that's why i like even struggle i'm like is it lore he just made some shit up but I feel like you had the opposite experience to me, Zeba. So I straight up was like, don't see anything gay on the first watch. And then the second watch, I was like, it's, yeah, it's gay. <laughs> so, But who? The Babadook is gay? Who's gay? I think the Babadook is gay. I think there is some strong, like, I, I, okay, here's the thing. I do not, in my heart of hearts, think that the Babadook is gay. However, <laughs> I do see how the interpretation can be made because... It, but more in the sense that, like, basically horror in, in general can be gay. You know what I mean? Um, so it's more of, like, just certain, like, literally if you take a line out of context, I'm like, oh, yes, gay. It's homosexual. He lives in a closet. Yes. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Amelia to Sam does say a couple things. Like, just some d- certain dialogue isolated on its own. A bit gay. She says... Why can't you be normal? And then there's that repeated refrain, don't let it in, which is giving me like 
Freddy Krueger, The Nightmare on Elm Street 2 vibes when we were fearful of, like, possession as penetration. There's also that thing, you can't get rid of the Babadook. I guess you could say, pray the gay away. You can't do that, so I see some results. <laughs> the reaches results. you're making right now are incredible. And then she tells Sam that he can only see the Baba in the basement when he's a bit older, which again kind of gave it a little bit of like Louisa, a you must I'm be screaming. Mature, maybe like a little sexual. Okay. What gags me is like the drag performances of the Baba Duke is what really sold it for me. I'm like, oh, absolutely, you're right. This is actually the queerest character I've ever seen in my life. Like the like, it's it's the long ass fingers and the limp wrists and the like the way he like sh- like every drag performance I've seen is like the way he like shuffles through space is like I'm like yeah, that actually is how he is. Like that's not even an exaggeration. Like, he's he's really giving eleganza. I love it. <laughs> but is the lore that we all believe that this was a that this was a gay film? I think I'll believe anything is gay if you tell. I I will believe anything is anything if you tell me it is and like argue your case well enough. I am a Libra and I like to see all sides of a situation, so I'm willing to consider it. I would like the record to show as well that in the script notes I put um, <laughs> Babadook is gay theory. Does it actually have legs? <laughs> yeah, the Babadook has great legs. The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review. If you do, you might just get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is JG499096 from Great Britain. And they said, What a ride! I absolutely love this podcast. The hosts explore the different themes within horror so intelligently, passionately, and in a way that I can relate to completely. It feels like I'm sitting down with friends having conversations I wish I could all the time. That is like the nicest review. Hope your spooky season is full of excellent films and good convos with friends about them. And maybe we can all get on the Discord together and have a chat. Friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear uncut discussions from our main episodes. And for £5 a month, you get all that plus a bonus episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please support us. Any contribution helps. So what do you guys think the Babadook actually symbolizes? Because I go for the very obvious, it symbolizes the mother's like postpartum depression interpretation. Wait, or what? grief. I thought it was grief. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was about grief. Oh, really? The dad died when they're on the way to the hospital. So she has like, I think it is postpartum depression. But postpartum is, is, is the depression you get when like the chemicals change in your body like soon after having a baby. Like the post, like the actual what's considered like postpartum period is like the couple months after the baby's born. Oh, I thought it just meant depression after the baby. No, there's like there's like a chemical reason behind it, like why it happens right after a baby is born. Yeah, she could have had postpartum because it doesn't seem like she's very like bonded with the child. I don't think she got a time period to like bond with the child or process stuff. I'll switch it then and say depression, not not postpartum depression, but depression linked to motherhood and trauma like of that situation. I think she resents Sam like big time. And I think that's pretty obvious. Like she's really cold. Like when he t- when he tries to cuddle her, she like flinches him off. Like she's not very touchy feely mother at all. And I think it's because of her grief, like warping her perception of motherhood, and she blames him. 
That's an amazing point. I was blaming the kid for everything. I was like, she hates him because he sucks. But I think he su- she sucks because she hates him. The thing is, he. I actually would think more so than like the interpretation that people and myself have reached to get that he's that son is gay and Babadook's a symbol of queerness. A better or more believable interpretation for me would be like, maybe it's an ableist sort of interpretation, basically, because the son, like saying, why can't you be normal? And the son has very obvious behavioral issues in the sense that he seems like kind of like an ADHD child. He seems like very, like very energetic, exuberant, like a very hard kid to manage. Yeah, he seems like a hard kid to manage, but not like, like she's also sleep deprived I think like to me I interpret it like I for a while was like I think that the Babadook like he believes it's real because he's a kid but I think she was like hallucinating for a while like I think she like like he is a tough kid to deal with but he's a tough kid to deal with alone like when the school was offering to send a monitor I was like great idea that sounds like he really needs that like I didn't understand like why she like was super against like him getting special treatment because it seemed like he he needed it and for like a lot of reasons and then she just like didn't get help from anybody no one was like co-parenting with her her sister was pretty useless everybody was like can't be around that kid don't want to help out and, and then he just like would not let her sleep because he was like on guard for the Duck. so I feel like at a certain point like her grief compounded with like sleep deprivation at one point I was like I'm not sure that the Duck is real for either of them I think he's imagining it and she's imagining it it but then later it becomes like more literal i think yeah but i think that's the fair interpretation to have but yeah like you said i don't think he's um i don't think he's unrealistic like i've seen kids like this like exactly like him where i'm like you could drive me mad like you are driving me insane right now (laughs) so i think it's just a matter of he's a difficult child she's by herself she kind of resents him which i think i'm not even trying to blame her for that like i think it's pretty natural like you go through a trauma like that when you're pregnant and whatever and that's why the babadook makes her say when she's possessed by him like oh you don't know how many times i wish it was you instead of him um which obviously is like a passing like intrusive thought that she probably once or twice had but like the babadook's making it her whole personality but I feel like that's fair. I think he's just this kind of ADHD, potentially neurodivergent child. And like you could say that the Babadook's like an ableist interpretation of that, like of a struggling mother and her resentment for him. I feel like the kid was very hyper almost because like she didn't really parent him. Like there was no one to play with him, no one to really do anything with. So he never burned off energy. So I feel like for him, the Babadook was almost just like out of loneliness. He convinced himself that this thing was real so that he had some sort of like purpose, something to do something with because like his mom didn't really pay him any attention. She seemed completely annoyed by him all the time. And then on her end, it was like the manifestation of like all this grief and anger seemed like that's what it was for her. But also like their relationship as mother and child is so unnatural to see on screen Although, like, motherhood is not always, like, coddling your child or, like, loving them. It just feels like she has no warm feelings towards her child no, at all. No, she cuddled and loved him. Like, when he when he would have, like, bumps in the night scares and crawled into bed with her. Like, she was so exhausted and, like, irritated. But, like, she, she I, I think she tried her best, at least until she got possessed, to make it seem like she wasn't irritated. Like, okay, you can come in my bed. Yeah, I'll hold you. It just doesn't feel like she has warm feelings towards the kid. Like, in general, it seems like his existence is, like, more of a burden. And I feel like less than necessarily blaming him, 
she feels like her husband died because they wanted to have him. So she's like, if he never existed, <laughs> then none of this ever would have happened. And like, we could still have the life that we had. But isn't that blaming him? Yeah, indirectly, yeah. I think when she's possessed with Babadook, he makes it very direct. Whereas with her, in, in reality, she, it's a more human feeling of like, I'm indirectly connecting these events because of the sort of trauma of them. And it's hard to, you know, I feel like it's more believable. Like she has a natural human emotion and the Babadook makes it like more terrible than it is. Um, but I, yeah, I do definitely feel like the Babadook is a symbol of like, the terrors of motherhood mostly because once she like casts him away to the basement she becomes this like perfect housewife and she's dressed almost like a 1950s get up and she's suddenly like really affectionate and you see all that warmth that she had been previously withholding like you kind of said Taya um like she's just like there's nothing blocking her now it seems like she has no inhibitions she's just like full gearing towards mother mode um so I do feel like it's kind of like Babadook is like the symbol of like their distance her depression, her resentment, her grief. Once it's overcome, it's fine. So I don't really, yeah, I don't really see it has much to do with the son <laughs> and his queerness. I wonder, like, I'm surprised that there wasn't more interference on, like, the hospital's behalf. So I guess this is kind of be highlighting failures of, like, aftercare for mothers. Like social services? Yeah, because oh, yeah. there was no, like, forcing her, per se, or, like, really telling her, like, you have to get grief counseling. Well, we don't know what she did when, like, seven years ago. It seems like she's not processed any of the grief, though. Yeah. And so, like, the normal thing would have been for her to have had some sort of grief counseling for the child to have, like, a child psychologist or something. But it was very much, like, it seemed like so many levels of neglect on an institutional level. Like, his teachers, even though they did su- suggest, like, the special treatment like the hospital why was her sister so unhelpful well she was a bitch for no reason she's like don't bring that kid around here and i'm not gonna visit you i got like it was weird kind of like classist undertones but not there wasn't like a blatant you know amelia and sam's house was like quite nice and big it's just kind of old and dark but um but in that way it didn't seem like there was much like difference but i think there even was a comment about that actually something to do with like the difference between them i can't remember exactly what it was but I kind of got the sister. Maybe, maybe if not like money, definitely snobby. She was very judgmental. Yeah, judgmental. She thinks she's better than them in some sort of way. Maybe not money wise, but like I just got kind of snobby vibes from her. Like, oh no. And because Sam has such bad behavioral issues, but her daughter was a bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I would have pushed her out too. <laughs> pushed her out the treehouse. I actually. Yeah. What is your take? I don't have a take. I don't have a take. It's just that. I feel like I actually kind of resent that this film got, or that the Babadook got memed as like this queer icon. How homophobic of you? Why, Mila? Because I'm a homophobe. No, because I think this film does a really great job, like you've all said, expressing how grief manifests and how if you leave it unattended, it can morph into something really monstrous. And I don't know, I feel like the film, I remember at the time, like, it definitely had buzz for just being like a solid horror film. But I feel like it's now kind of just like seen as a joke. I remember people thinking it was goofy in 2014 as well. It's also called a Baba Duck. I just like remember watching it and thinking like it actually really affected me. Like even if it's not specifically about grief, I think just as like a metaphor for depression as well, it works so well. I like think this in WandaVision did such a good portrayal of how grief completely clouds up your world like in how one division she creates like this entire world out of grief and in, in this movie her and her son are living in this universe with the babadook and all this scariness and they can't sleep and exhaustion 
um and then suddenly when it fades away everything is normal but like the her 50s housewife is type moment at the end definitely reminds me of how Wanda on the show like lived in this 1950s sitcom world so like even at the end when she has that moment I'm like I'm not sure if it's her processing everything or if it's just like a band-aid in order to just put everything to quiet and like live in a fantasy so is it like an extension of the grief in just a different form so instead of like this black and white gray world where they're living in fear instead of they're living in this fictionalized 1950s everything's okay we love each other so much world when in actuality they still have that tension and they still have this unprocessed grief i guess that's kind of why babadook still exists in the basement they do say you can't get rid of the babadook and that's kind of what they say about grief right like grief doesn't ever get smaller you just grow around it kind of thing you grow bigger around it and to encompass it can i bring this back to like the lore theme of it <laughs> something that i like noticed in especially it and the babadook is like fear as a t- as a s- tactic of disciplining children of like telling them like something's gonna like like for it it's like don't talk to strangers type of situation the babadook like the fear is what makes his behavioral problems worse so it almost has like this opposite effect but like as villains they work very similarly to me as like they're intended to scare children and kill adults or like the the violence escalates when like an adult dies you know what i'm saying like it's something about like and i guess Candyman too is like meant to be a warning like we use fear and like spooky stories and like all this lore as a way of like as like teaching basic lessons to kids because like we don't want to tell them like a person is going to come and murder you because that actually could happen or like a person is going to come and threaten your life but sort of like saying that like if you you know just generally like don't talk to strangers stay in your bed at night (laughs) like like these very basic things we use scary stories like on kids all the time but like something like this made me think that that fucked up that kid like he would he could not sleep he was so scared like and i think that happens to a lot of us like things that are intended to like get us to behave and like instill like a sense of respect for like moving through the world and like like or like a sense of your own survival with like i like i feel like we teach kids to like (laughs) be hyper aware of stuff in ways that are like related to like like we we have to tell them in ways that are like less scary than real world scare but those things like stick with us like i remember so many reasons like why i was like told to like stay in bed at night and they were scary and not real It does make me think of It. In fact, there are a lot of sim- similarities that we'll come to next week with, like, Babadook and It. But it's interesting that you bring that up because I want to know, like, what did you guys think about the storybook, like, that accompanies the Babadook and how it mysteriously appears? Because I thought that was, that was pretty cool. I liked the kind of visual element, but in some ways also... Because not really... This is a, a horror that, like, invents its... I mean, a lot of them do as well. But, like, it very much invents this lore out of nowhere. And I think it uses the storybook to make it seem like this is a thing that's happened a lot of times in the past. And it, like, uses the storybook to invent the lore and, like, set the background for, like, the viewer. Because we have no idea what the Babadook is. As opposed to using, like, a story that might exist already. Like, a legend, like, Bloody Mary or something like that. You know what I mean? It doesn't use any, like, pre-existing folklore or myths. It's like, this is some weird thing called the Babadook and we're going to use a story book to convince you but I thought they did it quite well I thought it did enhance it 
this is something that this might be this might be my reach moment but like compared to the other films that under the lore category that we're going to be speaking about when white people have a story that they need to disseminate writing it down doesn't work it has to be an oral something or other because in it, it was, all the information was in the library and nobody knew it. I'm like, why does nobody in this town speak out loud about how people die every 30 years? Y'all keep putting it in books and putting it in dusty closets and libraries and expecting people to find out that there are monsters. <laughs> That's a really fair point. For the Babadook, like, it's not so much a community law as it is like specific to this woman's individual journey of grief and depression. Like you said about how scary stories are told to children as a way to like instill values and ways to keep safe. For the Babadook, it was more like collateral damage of her not attending to her grief or her depression. It wasn't so much a storybook for him. But interesting how she tried to like destroy it and burn it. And like, she just thought that if you don't participate in the storytelling, then it goes away. Have you guys noticed that like all of the characters have like some sort of feminization about them? Like the way that the characters are. Like the villains? Yeah. And the movie. They both are very like campy, overdramatic. But also like in general, like if you go to the Brothers Grimm and the stories that we heard that were different from the original ones. More than often, the villains are very feminized. Queer-coded, for sure. But then it does a complete three, 180 to a 360. Like, where we say, like, there's empowerment in being the monster, too. I love it, and I love the Babadook as villains. I think they are just so fun to me. Like, they're just so fun to watch. I think they are truly <laughs> the moment. I understand, like, what is wrong with queer-coded villains, but, like, God, do they get me every time. They're the best. Maybe because they inadvertently, like, speak to queer kids. They did this with him on the Powerpuff Girls, too. I remember when I was younger, I saw, like, a picture of Prince, and I thought he was genuinely, like, dressed as him from the Powerpuff Girls amazing no i love that sometimes the more problematic interpretation of the villain is the more convincing and like the version that i love more than the like trimmed pc kind of polished version i'm like i don't know i feel like we're missing maybe because like villains always have like i mean not in the case of the babadook i'm really going generic here but like villains always have like a backstory where they're like bullied or something and it is more like believable if that person has some sort of like othered quality about them such as queerness in this instance or whatever when we think of like a backstory that was recently given like the one in joker that felt extremely incelly like in comparison to these it doesn't feel relatable to me okay but i don't i don't sympathize with like the babadook or it i just love them I'm not saying I sympathize with the babadook or it but i'm saying those are backstories i think are more interesting to watch but the Babadook isn't a villain. Um, he does want the mom to murder her son. Either you're going like metaphorical and you're saying that the Babadook is just like a symbolic, or even if it exists as a real monster, then I don't think monsters can be villains. That's like such a weird, like humanized concept. They're just being who they are. They're just being their best self. They're just being, They're just their, being their, self. their best self. That's true. It's like saying a shark is a villain. Did you just watch Zootopia? You know what? I was not with you until you brought up sharks. Going along with like Babadook as metaphor, basically 
someone said, like, you know how Sam likes to be, not someone, I should give the credit, Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian <laughs> said that um, Sam likes to dress up like a magician, and he's a bit like, you know, he has all these, like, magic tricks that he tries to show her, and she's just kind of not interested until the very end of the movie. But the Babadook's get-up is very magician-like, so someone else was kind of drawing that connection between the Babadook symbolizes her resentment for her child, which I thought was pretty convincing, because you know, I was like, why, I one of the thoughts that I had was, why does he appear like that? Besides, I was like, this is a strange choice for a monster. Like, I would have thought, like, more like Harry Werewolf if we're going in Monster in the Closet, but they went more like this weird top hat <laughs> guy with, like, long fingers. Okay, so Jennifer Kent, the director, again for The Guardian in an interview, said that she wanted to scare people, but not in the sort of jump-out way. She wanted it to be emotional and visceral. Uh, so she wanted to talk about the darkness within ourselves and in our lives. That was the core idea for me, to take a woman who'd really run away from a terrible situation for many years and have to face it. The horror is just a byproduct. Like, I think we've interpreted it the way she meant it. Queer tangent aside. And then someone else, uh, Glenn Kenny for Roger Ebert said the Babadook is a metaphor for the terrors of childhood and the terrors of parenting. Um, and I think that was kind of nice because like it meets in the middle, like how you said, Zeba, how a childhood monster and like the monster of like dealing with grief as its own entity, they very much merge and meet in the middle where they both could believe this entity that's like haunting them and terrorizing them. Um, I thought that was really interesting, like how adult psyche of like, fear and children's psyche of fear can morph into one and unite and i think that's what makes this movie very powerful thank you for listening to the monstrous feminine be sure to follow us on instagram soundcloud and spotify at the monstrous feminine podcast and on twitter at the monfem pod subscribe to our youtube channel and rate and review us on apple Podcasts to be our next witch of the week we also have a tiktok follow us at the monstrous feminine pod for podcast clips and more fun brooms up which is out